everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Liza Reeder of University of Louisville has seen the changes in collegiate athletes over the years. While she relents that the internet has spawned a thirsty demographic of attention-seeking, quote, fitness experts, she says that she's seeing at least one positive change in the athletes entering her program. These young go-hards want to know the why of training. Information about exercise physiology, both legit and bullshit, is readily available to the tech-savvy generation, but it is a gift and a curse to coaches these days. Now, enthusiastic players are lost in the bro science, the pseudoscience, and then the actual science spectrum. Who will lead them back to true north? This is the coaching cross that you bear. And for folks like Reader, to her credit, she embraces the opportunity to showcase her knowledge, expertise, and experience. At Power Athlete HQ, we just call that the coach's responsibility. Here it is, episode 340. Nation, it's that time of year once again. Do you hear it? I can hear it. The rumbling. I can hear the rumbling. It sounds like pitter patter of feet. Mm-hmm. And it's everyone out there on their way to purchase their discounted gym memberships. Ooh, so the that you fucking go hard, you power athlete radio nation who listen to the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing. Ing. You know what's going to be taken up in just about a week? The squat rack with some fucking sunken chest, skinny dipshit, trying to do bicep curls with one of those fixed whoa, weight 25-pound bars. Where else do you do cur- bicep, or, uh, bicep barbell I don't know, curls church? other oh, than John, the squat rack? I, I thought you were going to say, where else have you been lifting, Luke, in the... Like burning him because his sunken chest. What in the hell are you? Oh, oh I get what you're saying. Oh. And you know who else is going to be there? You're going to have the people in there that are doing like six calf raises, forearm curls, and then they're going to fucking be gone in two weeks. Who are these people? The resolutionists. Resies are coming, bitches. The resolutionists. And I, you know who's not going to have a, a handful of resies in their squat racks doing curls? This squad right here. Because the power at the gym's up on the hill. Yeah, we don't let resolutions we gotta, come. Yeah, no, that's it. You know what's going to be sad, though? No. Is the intern here? I think the intern's gone. At this moment in you time? You know, he's, I'll tell you this. He might be physically gone, but he'll always, his spirit will always survive with us. Like a, I th- I think a gaping wound that just won't heal. <laughs> <laughs> like the, I was kind of thinking the, it more the like cut a, on the roof of your tongue I, that I would heal if you only like stopped a, tonguing it. Like a lip sore. <laughs> yeah, you know? like an extra, like that you comes know, up that, every month or so. Yeah, that, that cracking your lip, I think they call that um, herpes. Mm, yes, the intern was like herpes. Sorry, intern. You'll love, you'll, you can re-listen to this in a month or so. Um, <laughs> no, ladies and gentlemen, it is the end of December, and you are joining us for another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. That's number two. Ing. But we got it. Um, and the resolutionists are coming. And we appreciate that, but we have no sympathy. Tex, what's your New Year's resolution? Oh. Thinking ahead, uh, host more dinners. Hmm. What we can, I can do once a month, mm-hmm. and then this is going to force me to buy some plates <laughs> and some. What, what, do you, what do you put? What do you put plates? Chargers. On? No, what do you put plates uh, on? Chargers. Placemats. Placemats. Okay, no, I get char- some of those. you don't fucking placemats are out, dude. You need a plate, charger, then placemat. But I got this. Re- I got Nana McQuilkin's table, so I don't want to put a tablecloth on it because it's really nice. Like visually yeah so then you want a charger like you know that wood plank i eat off of that's not a plate that's a charger so you put oh, that okay. down and you put plates on top of it. i'm writing this down san charger. diego charger charger that's fo- uh, football. okay so 
Yeah, count me in, which you got to force me to it. And then, you know, hopefully See, here's the state fallacy here. meat's involved. Here's the fallacy. First off, state classy meat isn't, well, bison boxes should be shipped Dude, already. Uh, my box or a box showed up yesterday that had a pretty amazing shin bone and it had a massive buffalo tongue. Oh, bring, bring it over, John. We'll cook it up. Uh, so I, I threw it in the freezer because um, I was in a rush. So I threw it in the freezer and I'm going to have to Lingua. go back So what's your resolution? Um, I would like to finish up all my projects. All of them? All of them. Even the tree wells? <laughs> well, we got to get the tree wells done by the symposium. Okay. Uh, so we got that. Um, symposium 2017. Yeah. yeah no, no, no. Uh, we started the tree wells in 2018, mm-hmm. and we're going to finish them by 2019. Well, technically, we started them um, in 2017, right? Because they were like, had to have at least been cleaned out or something. Yeah. But then, like, they got framed in 2018. So we got the metal Planked up. in 2019. And then we're coming up. We're going to get them in. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be epic. So p- finished projects. Hmm. I don't have any resolutions because I just do it. I listen to Nike. No. I, I, you guys I, I are resis. I would like to get more projects done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you baited us. Yeah. A couple resis right across from me. You could, that was a little pitter-patter. I'm so well, It's not like we're guys. talking about like resolutions. It's more like, hey, what, what kind of things do you want to accomplish in the new year? So think about this, uh, this decade, which has been a pretty impactful decade. Uh, I think for me, um, is coming to an end. And now here we are in this brand new decade. What does 2020 to 2030 look like? We just saw what 2010 to 2020 looks like. What shit is this show. Next? It's a shit show. U2 was popular <laughs> still. In 2020, is Bono still going to be a thing? I haven't even heard. Is he still alive? Hmm? I, don't, I don't know. He's the fucking head of the Illuminati, man. You don't know this? Oh, John is winking. Yeah, Bono's the head of Illuminati. I don't even know what the Illuminati is. Mm-hmm. Classic. They start their classic Illuminati. Classic Illuminati, Illuminati talk. <laughs> um, well, here's your resolution, Power Athlete Nation. And here's the good thing: the best part about setting a New Year's resolution is completing it before the New Year. Am I wrong? You don't have so your 2020 resolution can be completed in 2019. It is get your phones out, look at the podcast app, boom, five stars, and if you have you're driving or something just write a review and you know watch a movie at the same time just kidding uh if you're driving do not write a review but you can still like a podcast while you're driving is that legal yeah, smash that depending like on where you're at though you might get pulled over so make sure there's no cops around and if you are a cop i'm just kidding but if you're not a cop there's no cops around <laughs> do it uh no we're, we're we're setting off the new year right the podcast resolution this year is to n- use no profanity Impossible for you. We are changing our... Well, we got four fucking days to, <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate it, God damn it. Uh, I, I like it. So we're going to go profanity free. No free more explicit. In, in 2020. 2020. You know what's going to 2020, happen. profanity free. You realize Callie's just going to have to beep or cut it out. And no, it's yeah. Be like, like, no, we, we can still... Like, Callie, hey, guess what? Congratulations. Now you better get a beep noise or foghorn for every time we swear. Uh, no, I would encourage Callie, as a New Year's resolution for her, to find creative sounds... That are not ooh laugh track. Well, uh, you know, well, I'm more she, curious by the uh, fact Callie that somebody's searching track. for Callie's nutrition advice and wants to know exactly mm-hmm. what Callie thinks about macros. What, are your exa- what is the exact? I want to know what <laughs> Callie Hinsman thinks about macros. Never heard of them. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, I don't know. I just starved myself and got rid of my car and rode a bike. Uh, yes, 
But the reality is the new year is always a time to, it's a time to, I guess, provide an excuse to make a change. And sometimes those changes stick. Sometimes they don't. We've written a couple times on how to make resolutions that last. But if you know someone who's looking for training, send them our way. Powerathletehq.com slash training. Looking for nutrition? Send them our way. Powerathletehq.com. What? Powerathletehq.com slash nutrition. Uh, all of our training has two-week free trial, risk-free trial on it. So you sign up. If you don't like it within the first 14 days, hit us up, and we'll refund you. But that since we've had that up, we've had nine people take care of it or ask for that, and most of them been injured. Or one dude literally hit us up. He's like, hey, I uh, found out I'm a match for my uncle who has to get a kidney replacement. So can I get a refund, which I honored him. Did you... Asked for some verification. Yeah, I said send me a pic. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see that kidney. <laughs> Let me see before and after. But uh, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, tell all your friends. We have Field Strong. If you're into that performance training thing, if you're a field sport athlete, if you've got a youngster who's just learning how to lift weights, get them on Bedrock. If you're that busy professional or your spouse is too busy to train, bullshit. Want to know why? Grindstone, flex scheduling. Lean and able. If you're just a full body savage workouts every day so you can perform 40 minutes or less 30 to 40 minutes that's your lean and able time if you need a movement prep program we've got iron flex if you're a war fighter law enforcement firefighter come try out hammer what else is there you looking to burn it down and get sassy go johnny, to johnny wad johnny wad and then what's even cooler is if you stack it with johnny bod that's which right. is the world's best accessory program world's best for unmatched oh uh, unparalleled mm-hmm. unparalleled yes it's almost like a, a phenomenon. It's, I would say it's uh, phenomenal. It's setting, it's setting the internet on fire. Would literally. you agree, Tex? Yeah, I was thinking about how to spell unparalleled. <laughs> Present it. Uh, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I? Unparalleled. Un- Do you want me to use it in a sentence? You spell and, unparalleled. Uh, what's the origin? The dictionary. <laughs> spell check. <laughs> U-N-P... Oh, oh, fuck. Y- you I, no hang on <laughs> P-A-R-A, parallel and now I forget if it's L-L- one or two L's. L-L-E-L. Do you two want the L's. trick? Two parallel L's. has parallel L's. Yeah, but there's two. Well, yeah, and then but there's one. two L's. It's, yeah, it's a double L then a single L. Right. Yeah, I always mess that up. Fuck. Really? That's the one you so stumble you, on. You put two L's at the end or two R's. Parallel. Parallelogram. Like, and I don't know where the E goes sometimes. Like, I always fuck it up. It's just that my word. That's it. That's your... Uh, Do you know a word I have a phobia of? Your maxim foe. So when I was in first grade, I phobia? lost I lost the spelling bee for the, for the word two. So uh, they would ask, like, I want to go to the house. I want to... Or was it... Um, I'm going to go to the house, too. Or something was like the word. Like the, and I was like, T... Oh, two, and I ended up losing first grade spelling bee champ to Claudia Bolter. She won, and, uh, and ever since then, like every time I see like two T O O, I'm always like, "Damn you two, damn you double O's." He said it. Damn you two. I'm with you, buddy. Bono, right. it's got to go. Damn you two. <laughs> yeah, damn you two. So I like it's just uh, it's not necessarily a phobia as much as it's just a a salty reminder of losing first grade. 
Spelling Bee Champ. And you remember mm-hmm. the, the, the girl's name. It's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. We're uh, friends on Facebook. Once, redemption once came year, from Jump Rope Time. Well, yeah. So I was, I, what I wanted in first grade, I wanted to be the Jump Rope Champ and Spelling Bee Champ. Mm-hmm. And I had to sub for first and second. Yeah. So I, we never, we didn't have spelling bees. We had flashcards. So that was our thing is like you sit in a circle and do like, um, yeah. kind of like bull in the ring, but yeah. flashcards. And fucking Kevin Anderson, I swear he had x ray vision. He was so fast. It was so was him, and then I was like always second place. I could never topple that guy. Where's he at now? Uh, good question. I'll have to creep him up, see what's up. Uh, be like, hey, pal, do you remember this? Was this significant for you? You'd be like, so who when are I, you? So when I deleted <laughs> a bunch of people off of Facebook, like uh, all of a sudden all the people I went to high school with popped back up, and I think there's probably about 20, 25 of them. I know we went to high school because we're in the same, like we like the same page, but I only remember a few of them. And I'm always like, oh, mm-hmm. how are you guys doing? Yeah, glory days. It was right before my peaking, first grade. Peaked in fifth grade, maybe? Uh, didn't you get the, the tattoo in fifth or sixth grade? Uh, I got like the rub on one in kindergarten and then just it made it a reality. Uh, obviously, junior, is that why it doesn't connect the year? No, it's because his arm got bigger. That's right. Yeah, because he got it. Yeah, a, he started lifting weights and his arm grew. So that's why it doesn't mm-hmm. connect. I'm sorry, do your travels connect? Oh, you don't have them? Double middies. Is double middies a swear? If I do this? Yeah, but... Are, are they I, watching on YouTube? I, I mean, at least you can see my tramp stamp. You can't see Texas. Too much back. What a tramp stamp. <laughs> Holy cow. You know, Texas tramp stamp of the butterfly. We can't see because that's why he won't shave his back. But that's the... Because you know why? Because if he shaved his back, we would see the butterfly and the little fairy. But here's the thing. <laughs> it makes sense. You've got the tramp stamp. I got the tribal. Tex has the tribal tramp stamp. Tribal butterfly. <laughs> so, tribal butterfly in a Godsmack oh, sun. God damn it. Oh. Well, he has the Godsmack sun on his belly button, but the... the Cisco. Thong song. The, the, the belly hair is covering up... Ah, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, I like... Funny story. Years He's ag- not denying years it. Years ago, <laughs> year, years ago, my buddy RC and I, when we were in Philly, RC owned a tattoo parlor, and uh, I took RC to this fucking rock show, which was Godsmack, and we got to meet the dudes from Godsmack after my buddy RC's like, I fucking hate you guys. And they were like, what? And he's like, the amount of fucking times I've had to tattoo your Godsmack black son on fucking drunk people, like, like infinite. And uh, the dude, like uh, their lead singer, like lifts his shirt up and he has it around his belly oh, button. Yes. And I was like, oh, God, that's great work. <laughs> that's great work. Yeah, that black <laughs> This is it. And I'm pretty sure Vin Diesel in Triple X had that on his belly button. Uh, it, what was his name? Put in Vin Diesel, uh, Xander Cage. Xander Kane. Xander Cage. Cage. Put in. Yeah. Uh, uh, what a great movie. Put in Triple X. I can't Google Triple X, John. Why not? Put do in you have Vin safe Diesel search off? Why would you have safe search off? Why do you need to have safe search off? Because I'm at the office on your internet. What I'm saying is. Google Chrome comes default with safe search on, which means you disabled safe search for some reason. Yeah. Why? <laughs> what do I I'm search? asking a simple question. Just put images. Oh, there he is. Have you seen this oh, movie? Oh, he's got the Godsmack sun on his belly button. Have right. you seen this movie? No, no, no. The Have black? you seen Triple X? Yeah. It's a funny story. I saw it at midnight when it came out, the original, because I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is probably Did not you that like funny. It? In high school. Yeah, but no, we asked for tickets. We were just asking tickets for Vin Diesel instead of Triple X. I don't know. That's hilarious. Intern, have you seen Triple X? What in the fuck, man? Bro, one of the best opening scenes of any movie. I can't say it with a straight face. 
Um, when, he, okay. when he steals that dude's Corvette. Yeah, as a valet. Yeah, and then he and it's like, it. And then he's like... And then Tony Hawk and those guys like pull up in like a cab. You're a legend, yeah. You're the man. Yes. Thanks, Tony. It yeah. reminded me of Zoolander. Yeah. <laughs> he's like... <laughs> it's extreme he's Zoolander, like, yeah. He's like, thanks, Billy, Billy Zane. Listen to your friend Billy Zane. is cool dude. Um, <laughs> okay, so we still have a podcast here, people. If you've made it this far, I promise you, we have a legit podcast here today with Liza Reeder from uh, University of Louisville, who is a PhD candidate working within the Department of Health and Sports uh, Sciences. And good talk because she's has her dissertation. She's focusing on the motivation of behind strength training versus like motivation of playing a sport. She pull, peels it back into the, the weight room. What is motivating uh, various athletes of various genders and various sports to train for their sport throughout their athletic life cycle? It's pretty interesting, I found. And as I kind of reflect, and I think we reflected, we saw those parallels of working through that spectrum she was talking about. So anything else to talk about in terms of triple X, Tex? In terms of triple um Intern, write that down. And yeah. that's, I guess that's the farewell mm -hmm. into the new year to the intern yeah. to watch Triple X. So ladies and gentlemen, if you're curious what the internship program at Power Athlete Ranch consists oh. of, it is 90% movies <laughs> that these young kids coming in have never seen. And it's like a fucking sin. Hey, you know, whoa, movie, whoa, 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 whoa. Darn sin, darn, darn. Easy on the F-bombs. Darn, Callie beeped that. It is a sin because we use... 80% movie quotes in our dialogue to communicate here at the office. Yeah. Well, unless you mess them up, like Tex over there talking about special tires. Special wheels. Special wheels. <laughs> Magic tires. Hmm. What was so special about those tires there, Harry Hogg? He's got something explaining to do. <laughs> I was just thinking about coach, movie coach motivations, and that was... Spell unparalleled. <sighs> unparalleled. There's two L's that are connected. <laughs> uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we don't have time for this. <laughs> On to the show. Let's talk to Liza Reader. You guys ready to rock? Let's do it. So, Liza, first and foremost, I guess, thanks for hopping on the show. I hope you're ready to go down to the nooks and crannies of nonsense and maybe some strength and conditioning and mindset talk. What do you think, McQuoken? I wouldn't call motivation nonsense. I think it's a very important component. No, no, component. no. Well, our job to do, our job is to try to derail our guests. I think that's been like our trend for the past 10 oh, episodes. Too. Oh, I'm not calling oh, her work that's nonsense. That's what you do around here. I'm calling uh, my contribution to this show nonsense. <laughs> well, that uh, tests the efficacy of these experts that we have on the show. Yeah, that's what it is. I'm trying to throw them off their game and still if they know <laughs> the information, like the back of their hand. So, Liza, be ready. It's, it's coming. Who knows? The wild card. No, Liza... Thanks for jumping on. And I get uh, to start off, give us and our listeners the long form background of what got you to what you're doing here at University of Louisville and what you're passionate about. Like, you know, youth into education. Take us on the ride. Uh, OK, so currently I am the graduate director of our exercise physiology graduate program. Um, I'm in my ninth year of teaching. And so um my athletic background, I rode like rower, not equestrian, my freshman year of college. And then um, I switched schools and then I didn't have a rowing team. So I just finished out undergrad. And then um, after my, that was in, I went to Kennesaw State University in uh, the Atlanta area. Mm -hmm. Say what? Uh, one of our pals is, he started up the football program as a strength coach 
I don't know if they had football back in your time, but now they're a perennial. <laughs> yeah, they're doing work right now. I think they're four and one oh, at nice. this current time. Um, and so that's kind of cool. But no, they were, I think we were a Div 2 school and I was going there, which I'm probably dating myself. Um, and so I came up to Louisville for my master's and in exercise physiology. And then I started teaching after I graduated. Um, I got my CSDS, so the NSCA Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist in grad school, and so or at the end of grad school, and so it qualified me to teach essentially the CSDS per course year. And so I've been teaching that long, and um, I eventually worked my way up to um, uh, full-time and then taking on some administrative roles, and so that's really cool. And after grad school, I was a competitive weightlifter, and then I went competitive powerlifting. So um, and I've been a strength coach, I've been a weightlifting coach, and then um, now I'm a local high school strength coach for um, Central High School, which is the high school where Muhammad Ali went to school. Mm, fun fact. Fun fact. He's all over the city, but um, he is here, or, or that's kind of the, the claim for that. Um, and so I'm in my, I have my master's right now, but I'm in a PhD program, and uh, the PhD program is educational leadership and organizational development with a concentration of sports administration. Um, a lot of words essentially to, to say that I'm trying to look at the human side of coaching. Um, and I'm holding tight to strength and conditioning as the sport portion of it, instead of it being the um, back of the house or ticket sales and things like that, um, or really how we're taking care of our athletes and things like that while strength and conditioning is a part of that. Um, and so from there, we're, I'm, we did this summer program, summer strength and conditioning already with our high schoolers. And um, I had football athletes and volleyball athletes, and my coaches were totally bought, bought in. And so I asked, can I do some work with our athletes to kind of see what motivates them to actually participate, knowing that it is a requirement of their summer portion. But we have all experienced the athletes that just go through the motions and the ones that are just there to check the box and they aren't necessarily seeing the value in it. And so from, from there, can we kind of tap into what is the high school identification of their motivations? And then how can we use that to better get results um, from them? And so from there, I, I have a theoretical framework, which is all, nerdy words to say there's a, a basis for the questionnaire that we used um or the the survey that we built we morphed a questionnaire um into the strength and conditioning realm and then from there going into um looking at the differences between the males and females um and where there was there any difference in our age group um, and that's kind of where we started with it so what are your, I guess, what are your suspicions? And I'm sure it's going to be interesting because as we work with our coaches in our network, you know, it's like, man, I remember being, I think I remember being a kid and I feel like I remember being much more motivated and less smart or like socially smart or uh, like what, what was, what were we talking about a while back, John, like artificial maturity? that we see in younger kids these days. Uh, like you, like why some kids are more advanced than others. They, they act in a mature way, but cannot calculate uh, complex scenarios maturely. And we were like, younger kids are able to, to appear as if they are more switched on and dialed in, 
But really, when you start to stress and add stress to the scenario, they're just dipshit kids, 10, 11, 12 year olds, which I say that in like a term of endearment. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm I'm curious because we're like, what motivates these kids today? I feel sorry for teachers today. I feel sorry for coaches today because we're dealing with a, a, an, a youth that is informed and more informed than we ever were when we were that young because of the accessibility to information, opinion and things like that. So um, are you expecting to see any of that manifest itself here? Like in compare and contrast two generations ago versus let's say this one? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, we, as a, anybody going into any situation, you have your own preconceived notions and you could try to nullify them. You could try to be as unbiased as possible, but you still bring those in. And so, uh, I came in expecting, um, knowing being a female coming from a strength and conditioning world, um, as an athlete, and then as a coach prior to doing this research, um, knowing that all of us have had the, the female athlete come in and say, I don't want to squat. I don't want to squat because I don't want to look bulky like a guy. Um, and we've all anticipated that. And so I think that's become the stereotype for females, uh, for, and I'm not, this is not applied to be like, you know, that is not my goal and da, 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 da. But I think that's become the realm, um, with the small caveat that we do, Currently, everybody has a phone in their hand. Everybody has access to some version of social media. And while most of us hate what social media is doing to the world, um, I think it's also exposing some good things. And this is one of those, I, if you ask me before the summer, I would still not have given social media any positive credit. But um, I think social media has probably exposed younger people to the benefits of strength and conditioning. And so everybody can follow LeBron James and his workouts, whatever, however opinion you want to, whatever opinion you want to have about his workouts, everybody's seeing him and he's this top, top athlete. And then they're seeing him put in the work as well, or you can follow your favorite, um, uh, NFL player. You can follow your favorite N- NHL player. Um, you, you can follow pretty much anybody MLB and you can see them in their workouts at some point in time. And so it's kind of demystifying it. And we've also seen really good things on the female side of that. So our US national team, our women's national team, um, killing it in the the World Cup, but then you also see some snapshots of them training. And so it takes a more friendly picture. And so or it, it gives a more friendly picture, a more friendly face to strength and conditioning, especially for um, a population that has probably stereotypically tried to shy away from it. And so I think, um, that's something I didn't anticipate, but going in, um, I anticipated my older athletes just being clued in. Um, they, they bought in more and, um, probably enjoying lifting more. Um, I anticipated my younger athletes just being there and just being excited, but not really knowing why they're, why they're there. Um, and then I expected, I honestly expected a difference in motivations between males and females. Um, the, the truth of it is that, um, to to be strong and powerful is a very masculine thing. And, um, femininity is grace and poise. And so there are some very feminine sports like figure skating where they're exceptionally strong and exceptionally powerful, but they just um, emit much more grace within their sport versus a very powerful sport like MMA. And so one has a much, even though females participate in both, one has a much more masculine 
feel to it. And so I anticipated truly that my uh, volleyball players would have a different motivation than my football players. Um, just based off of what I've seen and based off of the conversations I've had with females coming up to me as the female in the room saying like, I don't really, I don't really want to look like a guy. Mm-hmm. Well, what's hard is uh, guys have been trying to train to look like guys for years, and they usually suck at it. So I always love women. Right here, John. Dude, it always play. (laughs) We were fortunate to own a commercial gym, and I used to get that one all the time. Being like, "Well, I I put on muscle so easily." I'm like, "Oh, Neo, you're the one." Yeah, you're the (laughs) you're you're the one with this incredibly uh, you know beneficial um, you know anabolic profile that just allows you to put on muscle at a rate that is far beyond what any other human being you'll. You just look at a weight and you put on 20 pounds of muscle. And I'm like, you know, I've been lifting weights my entire life and, um, ah, I'm just calling bullshit on it. And it's like, every time we hear it, I'm like, it's, it's just it's such a weird misconception, but, uh, it is. uh, the question I have is, um, and I'm sure everybody has different motivations, but I wonder today with social media, uh, you know, we were, I think it was with, uh, the podcast we did with near where we were talking about like the format. No, it was the guy's. I can't remember, but like the, basically like the four minute mile effect where, you know, nobody thought that they were going to break the four minute mile and the guy breaks the four minute, four minute mile. And then within, you know, months, dozens of people had done it, which I think is what we're seeing here on social media. Whereas, um, when I started lifting weights, the only people that I saw lift weights were the people in our weight room and maybe my brothers and a few other people, but nobody that was like, I, I saw nobody my age doing extraordinary things. And now I think through social media, you click on and uh, I see people lifting weights where I'm like, man, if I knew somebody was lifting those weights and doing it that way, uh, I would have been, it would have been a different effect. And so I think from social media, it just kind of makes it a little more accessible. But I also um, caution that with a lot of bullshit because I think a lot of people do a lot of fake stuff. Fake plates. Oh, yeah. It's Wait, unreal. Since you got those fake plates here at Power Athlete, John, my numbers <laughs> have gone up through the roof. Uh, <laughs> I would never have fake plates. Well, and if you did have fake plates, I'd probably push you with them. Well, on. we have at least one fake plate. And we have a really good muscle up video of you. <laughs> Shut up, Texas. It's the angle. It's all about the editing. All so the editing. Uh, I wonder if like motivations today are different for the kids, whereas, you know, we had to go lift weights because we wanted to be bigger to play football, where now I think it's become so much more visually focused, aesthetic, body composition, and like in this kind of like, hey, look at me now kind of generation. I wonder if like the strength training part isn't necessarily sports specific. It is like, like, uh, you know, girls like, wow, if I go in the gym, I can become an Instagram model, which, you know, is I, mm-hmm. like such a weird thing. But I just wonder if uh, if the perception and more importantly, the motivation for the kids is changing today based on what we're seeing today with social media. I think, yeah. Um, so Daniel Coyle's book, The Talent Code, um, part of what you're, you're talking about well, I see them doing it. Why can't I do that? And he talks about that in the spark moment. And the cool thing, and I never really thought about social media being able to do that, but I can totally see it now that you mention it that way, where the spark moment is she's a girl just like me, but she's doing really cool things and she doesn't look like a guy or she, I don't anticipate, not anticipate, I don't um, uh, take what she's doing as it changing my attractivity. Um, by any means. And so as a result, I could probably do that too. And so I think that's a really good point um, that I would totally possibly see that, but I will also use social media and my advantage to say, you know, like everybody wants a big butt. Everybody wants to be a Kardashian. Okay. This is, we're going to squat or we're going to deadlift. Yeah. But the Kardashians didn't get (laughs) their butts from anything other than 
medicine. So I know. So like, that's another weird thing where, um, you know, I, I have twin daughters, which you guys have heard me mention numerous times on this podcast, but I always think like, what's the perception for them? And especially like, uh, I always feel like if I'm scrolling through like my social media and they're looking, I'm like, Oh God, like, I don't want to have to explain like, why does that girl look like that? Or, you know, how does it all fit within stuff where it's like, man, and then I had an interesting conversation with my girls that just turned eight about what plastic surgery was. Oh. And they were like, so people take like things and put them in their bodies to give the illusion. One of they're like, it seems weird. I'm like, it, it does seem weird <laughs> because it Can't is say the darndest. Yeah, but it's just, um, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, you talk about that spark moment, but there's also something to the effect of like feeling isolated and that you're the only one and like making this uh, kind of, you know, lone journey, this ascension up the hill into athletic achievement. And I think, you know, Derek Woodsky brought that up and he's like, you know, if I was in a big group, I don't know if I could have attained it. Like there takes some solace, takes a little bit of soul searching without so much handholding. Like you have to be able to navigate, which I feel like in today's world, you know, there's so much opportunity. I mean, there's message boards and programs and this and this. I mean, it, it's, it's almost too easy. So does it really force people out of their comfort zone? Mm, that's, a, that's a great point. I, I, I couldn't answer that question. But what I think might possibly be is that we are... Um, there are those who resent the social media and oh lord um the problem in being an exercise physiologist is that everybody is an exercise expert like you just happen to be genetically gifted and you have abs so everybody should do what you do <laughs> and that Thanks is yeah <laughs> no that's the uh that's the hey um you know like uh i mean i'm sure you're in a similar situation where you hear people say stuff and i'm like I feel like Ron Burgundy, where I'm like, you know, that's not true. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, that makes no sense. Like, I, I to the point where I just can't even look at it. I'm like, this just makes no sense. Like, just making insane, erroneous claims. Yeah, and, and yeah, we fight that a lot. Being in, because um, my my job is to teach science and to teach the science to these individuals, and so or to to our the people that are going to go out and actually be the fitness experts that are having to combat the, the fitstagram people. And, uh, you know, I maybe make it a personal plight to let them know that this is what they're up against. And there's, uh, they're up against a significant amount, a sea of ignorance that's just getting bigger and bigger because um, while you're getting smarter, the internet's getting more ignorant at parts. And so, um, or they're taking truth and they're starting to spin it. And so, you know, I like to debunk myths in our exercise physiology classes. And so I'll ask kids, like, what is something that you've heard? Like, oh, lactic acid makes, makes me sore. And you're like, well, no, this is the science behind that. And so we teach like, this is a myth, this is the right. And so my job is to try to limit that, um, in the classroom, but I know that the high schoolers that I'm up against don't get that direct science. They, they don't have anything close to that. And so they come to me and they ask like, so what do you think about these waist trainers and things like that? And it, beyond it not being helpful for sport, you are the everyday coach has to be not just on top of their game, but also on top of like the general knowledge that they're uh, combating 
or that the internet and social media is combating against that. You know, um, not to cut you guys off because I know you guys are all going to jump in on this too. Um, one thing I found is that all the science in the world and the greatest of intentions and the most, uh, you know, detailed, you know, information and being able to spell all this mess really falls on deaf ears. If one, if the person doesn't look the part. And two, if you can offer them something else, like, like, hey, uh, a waist trainer, uh, I don't think they work. Why? Oh, well, here's all this research. Instead of being like, hey, man, um, you know, maybe it comes down to you being able to, to not, uh, you know, activate your trunk and, you know, maintain stability and all these other things. Here's some other things that I think will create the same effect that you're looking for. Like, if you want to get bigger and stronger, there's really only three ways. You either got to, like, you know, max motor unit recruitment through some form of max effort, something like compensatory acceleration, or you got to create, you know, fatigue. And really, those are the only three ways to get stronger. So you can pretend all these deals. But at the end of the day, like there's just some very basic truths and being able to say, and if you follow this, this is where it fits within the paradigm. And I think uh, that's what I've always prided myself on within the training and the space and everything that we do is more like, I know what these people are saying. Here's why it isn't right. But this is uh, an easier way, like a blueprint that for you to teach people how to do this stuff. And so I just and then at the end of the day, man, like if you're in poor shape, it's really hard to give somebody nutrition and, uh, and training advice, which is poor what we shape. run into with the majority of strength coaches and trainers and ATCs and PTs in these groups. I mean, you go you go to them and you're like, like, man, do you guys got traps and a goatee? Why don't they listen to me? Well, it's because like because you weigh uh, 250 no, pounds, you're five foot Mark, four. Mark Bell made the grace point. Mark Bell was like, I was 320 pounds squat of the grand. Not a single fucking person lifted to me. All of a sudden I get down to like 4% body fat at 225 and people are excited to see me squat 315. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's fucking true. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, aesthetics driven. Uh, yeah. I mean, at the end but of the like, day, like also on that, John, to delineate, because what's interesting is you use the same tools in this dichotomy of performance and fitness, right? So to get fit, an adult who wants to just get fit to look good can be extremely effective using the same tools that a performance whore who also carries themselves form follows function, carries themselves well aesthetically. Like it's the same tools, but like these messages are constantly getting crossed, right? Because maybe you have someone who's a performance whore who's like, Oh, I just take fucking deer antler, um, piss. But, uh, but don't, don't you think people get confused? It's kind of like the car that looks fast. That isn't. Yes. You know, whereas, I mean, and I ask people all the time, would you rather be strong and fast and all these other things, or would you rather look like you you can be able to do those things? Because there's a huge divide in that. And what kind of training are you looking for in that deal? Because if, uh, if it's just looking good, then, you know, we can go get plastic surgery or do whatever you need to do. Um, it's just kind of a an interesting piece where now it seems like... And I almost wonder, like, if you craft the narrative ahead of time for these kids, like knowing full well that, hey, they're going to be exposed to social media, they're going to be in these situations. And so you almost craft the narrative from day one, being like, hey, everything that we're doing is a performance driven deal. And it just so happens Mm -hmm. that if you can meet the performance demands, all the physical stuff that you're hoping for just happens as a byproduct. Mm -hmm. Now, if you train for just nothing from aesthetics, it doesn't pay it the other way. Like, like there's no training for performance in that deal. So like if the idea is to be better in this, I mean, and all you have to do is show them, um, you know, the guys that win the, the, like the hundred and the 200 in the Olympics, they usually found that the guys that win the hundred are the ones that have the lowest body fat, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's pretty universal. Like the, the leanest dude ends up winning the hundred and the 200. Mm-hmm. So and it's like always, right? It's pretty always. close. It's pretty close. So you want to look jacked? Be fast. Yeah. Be yeah. fast. So, and I, I, but like, I think that especially as kids, I don't know, because, like, I'm trying to remember, honestly, 
what 14 years old, no clue how I made it. But like you don't have that performance lens on all the time, right? So the motivation is a bit different when you're like, do you want to perform better or do you want to look better? Right? Like the I think if you framed it, if you were to present those options to an athlete, you get different motivations. When you get when you present it to someone who's not in a competitive sport or in a space, the motivations would be totally different. They're like, I don't give a fuck about performance if they're just want to chase a physique, right? And I don't know that that's what kids are training for. Do kids uh, exercise? I think so. I think kids think it's easier just to have like a whole bunch of Instagram followers and just train and be jacked. I mean, it seems like a pretty easy deal. Liza, what say you? <laughs> You're on the front line. Uh, unfortunately, that's pretty That's pretty true. Um, I Since I work at UofL and then I go to the high school, I don't see them as frequently as maybe a PE teacher who is a, um, a PE teacher who is there all the time and then stays after with them. Um, I, to kind of marry with what John was saying, um, I think every profession, every religion, every society, every, everybody gets offended by hypocrisy. And so it might not be straight out hypocrisy. Like you lift this, but I'm going to go not lift anything. It might not be that, but if I don't look the part, I look like a hypocrite. And so that's something that's something that I've talked to coaches and I've talked, um, our coaches here, I've talked to, um, athletes and students learning exercise. I try to, or exercise science, try to emphasize the world is offended by hypocrisy. And if you're going to tell people that you graduated with anything related to exercise, anything, and you don't know how to take the bar off the rack, you don't know how to lift appropriately, or you don't look like you yourself exercise, you're going to lose people really quick. And then I think to marry with that, you said that, you know, you have to look the part, but you also have to offer them. Why is the training myth a thing? But on top of, if that's a training myth, what do I do instead? You have to be competent in that. And um, competence is one of our most basic psychological needs. And everybody wants to be good at something. And so um, I think that motivation to be good at it can help us be better coaches. But it also, when you start to see when kids figure out that they're better at what they're doing, they're better at um, lifting, they're better at their sport, or they actually start to see the, the bleed over from training, and then they start to get faster, they start to win more games, or they start to be more cohesive as a unit. Um, they recognize that competence and then they're more apt to actually go back and, and to train and really to buy into that. And yeah, that, our, oh, sorry. that kind of plays into the actual motivation where we have external motivations um, or extrinsic motivations, which are motivations that have nothing to do with actually doing the activity itself, but we're getting joy from praise. We're getting joy from our bodies changing. We're getting joy from, or enjoyment. I say joy, but we are pleased by the result of us getting faster, bigger, stronger, more powerful. Um, or I'm getting more likes on Instagram because now my body's changing and people are shallow and they're paying attention to that. Or it's... it's playing into my vain need of looking better. And I know that now that I started training, I'm starting to look better. And so I'm going to keep training to look better, but it has really nothing to do with training. And all of those are external. And then intrinsic motivations are, I like, I like the way this feels. I like learning more about it. I like achieving more in it, or I like the sense of doing it. And those are all intrinsic. And I would 
venture to guess that um, if I had all the athletes in the um, a, a general span of athletes, football players, volleyball players, basketball players, baseball, softball, soccer, field hockey, blah, blah, blah. And I had power lifters and weightlifters within it. Um, I would venture to say that probably weightlifters and powerlifters have a much greater intrinsic motivation and everybody else probably has greater extrinsic motivations. Yeah. Well, what, what would the, ex- like at that high school age group or just no, but like what would be the extrinsic motivation for like a powerlifter or a weightlifter? I mean, most powerlifters, what their meets are in a hotel <laughs> ballroom <laughs> with like four the people. VFW. There. Yeah. <laughs> You're like in there with like a mono lift and a bunch of other weird dudes. You with know? with uh, uh, who the fuck wrapped was, up like big rubber who bands. Who the fuck was the guy who who brought his mono lift to Balboa? Oh, uh, big Thad. Thad, Thad. Yeah, it's Thad's running the old power lifting meet at the VFW. Should get about 15 people there. Yeah, and yeah, then chicken fried chicken night. And then look at like weightlifting too. I mean, weightlifting was a totally weirdo fringe sport until CrossFit mm-hmm. convinced people that a snatch clean and jerk was something exciting, and now it's become. I mean unbelievable like the amount of coverage i mean i remember uh you know trying to it took me six weeks to get olympic lifting shoes in 1995 like you had to write to adidas and they would like send you it was fucking now you can get them everywhere so i think that um you know usually for those kind of those sports i mean because there's not a ton of well actually there is more stuff for uh olympic weightlifting now i think you know with scholarships and like the olympics and mm-hmm. what we're seeing on the world stage i mean the you know like i just watched all the world stuff where like i don't know if you saw but a dude snatch like he totaled like 463 kilos or something. I mean, in, insane how, how strong people are getting. So I think from that point of view, it's kind of neat. But um, I think for uh, for kids that are playing in a general sport environment with external motivation, like what do you think within that? Is it uh, scholarship success, wanting to have a great high school team? I mean, what do you think is really the big driver for these kids today? Actually, there's a spectrum. Oh, perfect. So I had a feeling you knew, knew you knew this. Um, there's a spectrum. Uh, so DC and Ryan are the two founders of, um, intrinsic motivation. I mean, they identified intrinsic motivations in the seventies and then they just started to build on top of that. And so the research that I'm looking at is looking at primarily the self-determination theory where it's talking about autonomy and, um, people essentially psychologically want two things. They want to be competent and then they want to have self-decision and self-choice. And so, um, that's autonomy and we have all, well, I'll speak for myself. Um, you've gotten that call, that call from the person that you're dating that you don't really like, but they call it before you call it. And you're like, no, I was going to break up with you first. And like, it's something that you wanted to do anyways, but it wasn't your choice. And like, this is the end result that I wanted anyways, but I didn't get to call it. I didn't get to pull the plug. Like you, took my autonomy away from me. Dang it. Like you took a totally different when that happened to me. I was like, I'm so hurt. I thought we were going to be together. And then I just played the victim. (laughs) Even though I was, yeah, I was secret inside going, yes. I'm like, I've been hurt before. Wow. I thought this was really going to go somewhere. Yes. (laughs) Well, that's why we got back together, John. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's uh, that's the next level of Vulcan mind melt. (laughs) And then the person (laughs) really, no, no, it's not happening. (laughs) But that is the the autonomy that we're looking at. And so when we're looking at extrinsic motivations, we have the kids that come in with really sour attitudes that are like, I'm just here because the coach said he's not going to play me this weekend if I don't show up. And so those are the kids that come in, they go through the motion. Sometimes they're the strongest kids. And they just, like the kid that's front squatting 135, and I'm like, are you serious? 
what are you doing? And then his coach has one small talk with him. And the next time he's on the bar, the next week, he's front squatting 225. I'm like, you mean to tell me that you got 90 pounds stronger for eight in a week? Coach, the program's working great. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm that good. Yeah. Hey, so genius. Yeah. So that's the most externally regulated extrinsic motivation. Um, and then moving inwards, we have um, uh, introspected where they are taking the external motivations. They're taking that discipline from their coach or they're taking the guilt trip or they're taking the peer pressure or they're taking the um, self-esteem and they're saying, I need to do this in order to either avoid an external negative or to um, increase how I feel about myself. It still has nothing to do with that. Um, then we step one further in. So now it's the, um, these are internally regulated and, uh, we look at, um, identified. And so now these athletes, these would be the ones that we would likely see at the collegiate level where, um, I'm doing this because it benefits. I'm doing it because I see my, um, times in sprint go down or I see my, kick getting farther or something like that. So now they're actually able to put the two and two together and they're actually pulling that performance key in it. Not just I can eat whatever I want or I'm doing it because the coach makes me. And I think those, we always have that blend of motivations. And then the most um, internally regulated and the most self-determined version of this is integrated. And so this is where I'm, I'm doing this exercise. And while it's still my choice, it's almost like a non-choice. I'm, I'm going to do it because it lines up with my values and it lines up with who I am. And this, by doing this, it makes me me. Um, and so what at the high school level, I think we would see more superficial things. Um, I, and I just don't think I mean, the frontal lobe of the brain is still developing. And so they don't have that, they don't have the concept of that higher thought process and that, ab that process or that abstract thought yet. And so based off of that, we're looking at, okay, so um, you don't know how this is becoming a part of you and, but you are seeing that you get better when you do it. And I think that would probably be more of the external. And then, and then from there, intrinsic motivation. I do it because I like the way it feels. I like learning more about it. I, I was just hang cleaning. Now I get to pull from the ground. Like, Hey, I see that. I see that as an accomplishment. I'm learning more, or I like the sense of it. Um, those are more intrinsic and those are meant or not meant, but those are said to be the most autonomous. Like I choose to do it because I like the way it feels. And I, I think that's, like I said, I think that would be more for the elite athletes that have done it and they've seen the benefits. And so it's all manifested my, um, older athletes. And then the athletes that resistance training is their sport, powerlifting, weightlifting. So is the, I guess this is ultimately a life cycle of an athlete coming in younger. You're not super motivated. Like you don't have that intrinsic motivation. You know, you got to be there. Coach likes seeing you there. You suck at lifting weights cause you've never lifted weights but then you just stick to it because it's part of the workflow. And then ultimately, you know, and I even think of it as like the life cycle of a CrossFitter, right? You get in there and it may be external in, or maybe you go like wave in and out. But at the end of the day, we've seen CrossFit kind of gen pop will find themselves specializing in weightlifting or in powerlifting, which like 
I guess is the manifestation of like this integrated intrinsic motivation motivation. And I was kind of making, I know we were making fun of those dudes in like the BFW and it kind of reminds me of the movie, the wrestler. It's like, what are you doing this for? But it's a, they work fucking hard to compete yeah. day in and they go, they drive a long way to train and lift with other people who are like-minded and like, it's a, it's a high level of dedication, but is that the goal or is that just something that happens for kids or athletes as they work their way into or were the higher performers always more intrinsically motivated than not? I don't both? think we could make that claim that they are always intrinsically motivated, but I think there's probably a, um, uh, what I've seen is that the kid isn't necessarily really great at their sport, but they can come in and do work at, in the weight room. And so it almost gives them a different avenue to excel. It gives them a different opportunity to actually be good at something. And so they're kind of chasing that goal of performance or mastery. And that goes into goal orientation. And um, briefly, somebody can be mastery oriented or performance oriented. And mastery oriented is like, no, I want to know, I want to know how to do this correctly. They're doing self-comparison. So, hey, I lifted more today than I did two months ago. Um, and they are in it for that training is the, the end. The performance orientation is they are doing this to be a status symbol, or they're doing this to be better than their cohort or to be the best person in the, in the room. And so it doesn't really matter if that's, if that's their goal orientation, it kind of almost doesn't matter what they do. And I found with a lot of kids, uh, I always think that maybe, uh, they're hoping that they'll just find something that they're really good at, just like have this natural proficiency for it. And I see with my own kids, like they, Really hope, like uh, my one daughter just hopes uh, and is surprised when she's not phenomenal at everything she tries. And then I try to explain to her that there's this thing called hard work and you got to do this and this. And she's like, well, can I just find what I'm really good at and just do that really well? And I'm like, so your only basis for whether or not you like something is whether or not you're good at it initially. That's right. And <laughs> I, uh, I, I wasn't a very good football player uh, when I started because uh, I didn't really understand the game and I thought it was a stupid game. Um, I just knew that, uh, I like to lift weights and I wanted to be big and strong like my, my brothers. And, uh, every time I went to go lift weights, I got bigger and stronger. And then all of a sudden I was way better at football because my brothers told me all the cool kids played football. And then next thing I know, I got a bunch of scholarship offers and next thing you know, it was all history, I guess. Fancy NFL parties in yeah, Brazil. Next thing I was like, man, I got to play in the NFL for 10 years. I didn't even like this game. <laughs> but I, I think, um, you know, certain like people like kind of what they're na naturally maybe have some aptitude or they gravitate towards. And then I think there's a whole bunch of other kids that just have some underlying grit. And I don't necessarily know how to kind of pre-select or more importantly, why one kid has that and one kid doesn't. And uh, I, I'm always a lot more enthusiastic about the kid who like maybe not be good, but has the grit to put in the work. Because if you look at every great athlete or anybody that's always you know gone on to do something with greatness, their stories always usually start the same. There was some early kind of slight or something happened where they weren't good at it and they had to uh, almost like, uh, you know, become more cerebral and better in the plan of attack. And then they were kind of late bloomers. You know, everybody from like the Michael Johnson to the, you know, I mean, J.J. Uh, Watt and all these, you know, uh, who else? Um, like Clay Matthews. I mean, you go through all of these different NFL players uh, that all had this kind of similar 
um, you know, rough start and then, you know, late bloomer. And then all of a sudden they excelled later on instead of having a ton of success early, kind of like you and Pop Warner. Mm-hmm. Weren't you like national champion, Pop Warner? No, it wasn't until the year was 2001, Naperville Central High School, John. What was that? What, my, can, I think that was my third year in the NFL. Can, can so. we speak? What were you doing? I was <laughs> winning the state championship. I was, cr- I was crushing the Bears in 01. Elijah, can we speak to, to that? So I imagine winning is a motivation. So if Naperville High had a winning culture and it's Naperville Central, you. <laughs> Very important <laughs> delineation. Uh, the opposite of uh, Katie Taylor. Well, exactly. That's what I'm getting at because my rival high school won the state championship every year, and then my high school we did not. But we still. Why didn't you just lift move weights. high schools? <sighs> I mean, it seems I'm not like a fucking cheater. Well, it seems there like was cheating. Plenty, it's zoning. It's, it's zoning. Called, there it's was plenty of going boxes or, addresses in Katie High School district that stole away our players. Start being I, a that's why I started playing lacrosse, John, so I could win at something. But the how obviously much, not ping pong. Well, sorry, we got to cut this podcast short. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But yeah. how much does I guess maybe it is the example John was referencing the creating the possibility of success if a kid maybe hasn't found their niche yet. And this is a winning culture, a winning team, an opportunity to be a part of that. Does that play into it? Are the kids you're working with looking to succeed at their sport as just because the sport's already successful? Or are they just banging weights because they enjoy that training? Um, well, actually, our football team last year won uh, Kentucky State AAA. Um, football. And so with my football players, I could totally hinge off that. I can say, you know when they want to have low motivation um, or really when they, when they want to slack off, you just talk about like complaints aren't going to win your state again, complaint, uh, uh, being annoyed or rolling your eyes or being disrespectful. That's all part of the losing team. And so everything that you do, how you do anything is how you do everything. And so um, when you kind of, preach that to them to say, you guys have already been successful. Was that just the seniors last year? And I'm left with everybody left over that isn't good enough for it. Um, that can be a motivation because they've already seen success at the football level, but the volleyball team on the other hand came off of a losing, uh, season. And so I have 20 girls come in and they look completely lost in the weight room versus my um, football guys come in and they are much more comfortable and they are much more aggressive. And I think that just kind of speaks to the gender where the females are going to be a little bit more pensive in the weight room, or at least my, mine were. And I, can't, I cannot make that generalization across the board. I know that there are people that want to get in and they want to do work, but um, I, I did use it as motivation for my football players, but I didn't have that for my volleyball players. But what I did do with my volleyball players is because they're all um, essentially the, the body type of my volleyball players. They had long legs and they didn't really know how to control their body very well. And like spiders like small torsos, long legs, they're real <laughs> yeah, awkward like, for sure. And Um, they're really good at jumping, but they're not really good at landing. And so what I, what I started to use for them is like, all right, so how many people have has had an ACL injury? 
because we know that in females, they're more prevalent. It's more prevalent in females than it is in males for several reasons. And so I'll use that and say, all right, so what we're doing right now, why we're spending so much time on eccentric portion of the squats or you're descending in the squat is because I want you to have control when you land so that we can prevent any future injury. And so I use something that's pretty tangible to them because they've had girls out with injuries and things like that. So even though they didn't see the success of, um, winning as something that they want to go towards, they know that injury is something they want to stay away from. And so I think we could use that. That's still an extrinsic motivation to avoid something. I still use that to say, and I play off of the the athletes fears, but in the safest way possible to say like, I don't want to see you hurt either. And if you're hurt, if you're on the IR, you can't be playing. And so that's not going to win you more games. And so we want to win with healthy athletes, but we also want to have you want to go from freshman to senior year. And so for my, my football guys, yeah, I'll use, I'll use the winning for sure. But I didn't have that for my volleyball players. And so the volleyball players, I had to use something else. They're like, you want to win? And I'm like, well, I haven't really won very much. So they probably don't know what that feels like, but I do know that they're afraid to get injured. And so I can, I can use that. Can everybody be motivated? Like, or is there such thing as just someone who is unmotivatable? Um, whoa. There are some people that are just going to be crappy. Like, there is going to be a turd there. I think there is... Genetic trash can, turd, yeah. Turd Let's not confuse genetic trash can for unmotivated. Oh, it's just everything you do. I'm not just on the Look field. at Rudy. Rudy was uh, well motivated. Yeah, hang I mean, on. Rudy, I just Rudy feel Rudy like which Rudy? Rudy, Rudy Reyes or Rudy Rudy? <laughs> Rudy Reyes is looking, looking lean. He's looking good. Uh, but I guess so. With that person who you know, and it may just have to do with the endeavor they're in, right, or what they're what we're trying to have this young athlete accomplish. Like, th- do, does that change over time? Is there a way to crack that code or? I think you could appeal to their senses, um, but there are going to be some people that are just indignant no matter what. Um, and it could be that they are a male and I'm a female strength coach and I'm not playing the gender mm-hmm. card, but just saying like they come in they're like, why do you, why do you care? And then mm-hmm. I show them the right way to do a push up, and all of a sudden they start listening. And so it's almost like I have to perform for them instead. And that's kind of really what we're seeing. Um, in this current, the current generation is that they want to know the why as to what they're doing long gone are the days of like, you're doing it. Cause I said, so that, that takes away their, their choice. And so then they end up saying like, well, I'm not going to do it. And it could be the kids that haven't ever been good at it and they don't see how they're getting better at it. And so maybe one way, because we all strive for that competence factor, just like your daughters that want to be good at something they want that, that, feeds them. And so within that, okay, you want to be competent at something. I'm going to show you, I'm going to, when I see you getting better at something, I'm going to at least highlight it to you. Like, Hey, you know, you couldn't lift that two weeks ago or Hey, you know that you weren't able to do that lift two months ago. And that showing that maybe possibly will help with their motivation. Do you, do you think that, um, kids are self-aware enough to be able to see the performance and what they're doing in the weight room transition to what they're doing on the field? Not without being told. I don't think, I don't think they, I mean, high school. When does that self-realization happen? I mean, like, is that a, you know, I mean, we talked about, you know, the frontal lobe isn't 
isn't con- completely cooked until they're about 25, 26 years old. That's why I kind of cut people under the age of 25 slack. Like after the age of 25, you can't blame your parents for stuff anymore. You talk about the intern here yeah. or what are we doing? Well, he's like a young child. Like mm-hmm. he reminds me of my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then after the age of 25, 26, I think you're free to make Stop hugging him, start punching him. Is yeah, that what you're but, saying? But like that idea of like, when does that self-realization happen where now all of a sudden, um, you know, I can, and maybe it comes with success where all of a sudden now you have success and you're able to do it and it translates and now you can see something bigger. I was just speaking to one of our coaches here um, on the Olympic side, and we were talking about my dissertation and how I want to create um, a, a survey to map out their goal orientation and then what motivates them. And so we're talking about the difference between people being performance or like, hey, I see them doing this. I want to do that, too, versus, oh, you know what? I'm going to go in and give a dang. Like, I'm going to go in and I'm actually going to work hard because I see it starting pay off. And he said that he sees it between that sophomore, junior year. And I asked probes is, and this is of college and this is a div one pretty successful. Um, uh, he works with our baseball team, which has been pretty successful in the past 10 years. So and what would so, that be like 20 years old, 2021? Um, if they enter at 18, 18, 19, so 1920, yeah, so um, maybe they redshirted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right at that 1920 ish, um, where still they're, you know, for probably all intents and purposes, still probably finishing that puberty. Um, but he's seeing them. And I ask, is that, is that because they then become starters? Is that they have a, a bigger prevalence of actually being starters and being now the leaders? And he was like, yeah, part of that. But some of them have a fair amount of playing at their sophomore year. But it's just that transition where I don't know if it's the emphasis of needing to be a leader now and them taking on the ownership and the realization of it, which is way outside my scope. But he said from there, he started to see it um, at the high school level. I've been through, I've been there for two years. So what I started to see were the seniors that would come back in the summer and um, lift, the guys automatically started to look up to them. And so I think when the person themselves realizes that they are being not admired, I don't want to say that as far as like a superficial admiration, but more of a people are actually looking up to you to be, to be something. I think that might, that might encourage the switch. But then I still had seniors that went through the motions and I had freshmen that knocked my socks off. So it, I would say that as they start to take on more ownership of the team and then what he said today, um, he saw that switch between the sophomore and junior where they actually started to be more effective in the weight room. It's pretty interesting. No, yeah, I, cool. um, I, I always wondered if um, like the self-realization of like expectation ever was something, I mean, you get into this and at least with parenting, I mean, kids like um, expectations are really interesting. Um, I think uh, kids are really good at spotting things that are disingenuous. Like you said, like the hypocrisy, and uh, like they see it like 100% like case in point. Um, I'm pretty good about not using profanity unless I'm on the telephone for some reason talking to my brothers or like some other friends. And all of a sudden, like the girls are like my daughters will have this look on their face or what they're like. You used a lot of curse words. 
And then they ask, well, like, how come you can use them? And I'm like, I don't use them at home. They're like, but when you're on the phone, you use a lot of them. I'm like, ah, it's just kind of vernacular with, with my brothers and guys. <laughs> and they like couldn't understand. And so like that little piece of hypocrisy or me, you know, or the expectation of like, Hey, you need to work hard, but dad, you sleep until 10 o'clock in the morning and don't get out of your PJs. So like, I, think, I knew it, yeah. but I, but then they're like, Oh, you know, like they, you know, we get up at five and you know, we go lift weights at 6am. And so I usually wait for them to come down and say goodbye. And then they know that we go lift weights and we train and this is what we do. It just fits within the paradigm. So I think the expectation becomes, this is our expectation for you because this is the standard we hold ourselves to, uh, you know, within training. And, um, you know, I constantly talk to my daughters, I mean, even about like, Hey, where are you guys going to go to college? You know, know that like, you know, your mom is a master's and I, you know, I went to Berkeley and, you know, did my master's work and did all this. And, you know, that's the expectation within the family. So I, that was, you know, who told me that was uh, Chenna Cho's dad. Oh. You have to tell them from day one your expectations so that they're never, ever, ever lost. And I thought that was a pretty good thing. But I sometimes wonder if, um, if like being able to paint that and having that expectation and then being able to match that up as a, as a parent just because I think what happens is if parents have unreal expectations that they've never uh, met for themselves, especially we see this all the time with fathers in sports, where like the father was a failure, but yet now I'm going to somehow live vicariously through my child and he's going to somehow wrong the rights and kind of uh, anoint our family as being successful because I wasn't able to do it. And I'm like, oh, my God, like the pressure for that is just so amazing. We see it all the time with, uh, you know, with these young athletes and especially their overbearing parents. Yeah, I'm going to my freshman quarterback's football game tonight Got to sit with his dad to have that conversation, or at least. Oh, are, are you going to? I am. Uh, I'm, Is he I'm, playing up here? At Lake Travis, yeah. You oh, he's playing five thirty. No, I got a. Oh. I got dance. I got to take my daughter to. Oh no! Take my daughter to dance. Huh? I, I got to take my daughter to ballet. So uh, I, that's what I do at four thirty on the afternoons. I, I do want to highlight. So in our methodology coaching course online, we highlight something called the the competency model and essentially provide a strength and conditioning, a linear progression program that puts coaches in a position to set their kids up for failure and drive adaptation. And within the competency model, highlight things to look for from their athlete to start to see them gain buy-in. So we, we almost know from applying the program to thousands of athletes what to expect when it comes to progress and adaptations, but then provide a tool of, the, the athlete giving the coach feedback for the program that they're providing and the coaching that they're providing. So almost that, that kid just saying, hey, coach, check out this set, or how was that? And that simple communication starts that switch when they start to value mm -hmm. Milestones. Feedback. Yeah, right. rather than just talking and cueing and giving conversations where the kid is not even buying in, just because you're saying it doesn't mean that it's necessarily having the impact. So just a simple guide as they're applying this program to see the investment in the switch in their athletes, because most of our guys are coaching their high school or first-time beginners on that program. So kind of a cool thing that we're seeing pop out, especially with the, uh, the self-determination theory, we can dive even deeper of things to maybe direct and speak to and look for as they work with their athletes. I think the... Uh the self-determination theory doesn't always have to be a spec, like a sliding spectrum that they're going to gravitate up. But I think like Luke said, I, we naturally see a progression as an athlete stays serious in their sport and with training. I think we would nat naturally see a progression up the, 
or toward the more autonomous spectrum of it, even if they never get to the point of intrinsic motivation, they still say like, okay, you know, I've never regretted a training session. I've never regretted a workout. So even though I don't want to do it right now, I know that I'm going to feel guilty if I don't do it. So that's introspected. Um, I, it's going to help me move towards, you know, this, um, lifting goal that I have. So that's identified. And ultimately I'm going to feel satisfied with myself for being disciplined in doing it. And then that's that integrated, even though all of those are still internalized and it's taken upon the person to actually train. It's, we have lost, um, they have lost that external regulation. They don't need somebody there going into, you know, you have to be here or else there's going to be a consequence. So and is that, so I, is that toolkit transferable in the sense that th- they have this toolkit to, to rationalize doing something they don't want to do a la lifting weights. Does, is there a parallel to like book reports and homework and other shit that kids just don't want to do? Yeah, I think anytime you see somebody go from a procrastination lifestyle to an anticipation lifestyle, I think I think that's a change because um, uh, I saw this cool thing a while ago, actually in our weight room here, that was procrastinators either do it, um, there, there's a par- portion of procrastinators that do it for thrill-seeking. And so when I think back to when I procrastinated, um, it wasn't like um, an analysis by paralysis. I did it because I felt like a thrill to write that paper the night before, even though it probably isn't the best quality. Mm -hmm. No, I'm with you. That's Hepton stalls when he travels out here. He's like, I don't pack until 10 hours before my flight. It's crazy. I'm like, 10 hours, huh? That's that's how (laughs) you get fired up. (laughs) 10 hours. He's like, 10 days. I started, you know, <laughs> pressing my socks and ironing my underwear. Uh, you, you know what? Um, when I was in college, I ran into a similar deal, but it wasn't necessarily because uh, there was a thrill associated with it. It was just, we had practice and other shit to do. And then all of a sudden you get to the point where you're like, okay, can't push this. Yeah. I can't push this any farther. Like it has to be done. And then you kind of barrel in. But I also think that uh, sometimes that pressure kind of clears away the rubble and brings out some really good stuff. I always know like uh, some of the papers where I gave myself like, hey, I'm going to start writing this two or three weeks early. Almost never seemed as good as the ones where you like busted out in pressure and you're like, man, I don't even know how I pulled that off. And that's a sad feeling. Yeah, I I would see um, I would expect to see anytime anybody gets mm, while there are exceptions to everything. I would say that probably anytime anybody clamps down and devotes um time, effort, energy, maturity to something, and they change their, their view of how they want it to progress. I would, I would probably anticipate that motivation changing. Like, um, you know, you're in an argument with your significant other and everything in you is like, I want to say this thing, but I know that I can't because right now it's, I'm trying to avoid a bigger fight or I'm trying to avoid a fight period. So I'm just not going to say it. And so I'm, I'm choosing to not say it versus them saying, don't you dare say that. And they, because something, and so that's external internal. And then eventually I think 
our change, our thinking will start to change. And then we no longer have that snotty retort to whatever we want to say. We just say like, it's not worth it. And so I think that but would that's emotional be. maturity where like you realize like I can drop the bomb here and go thermonuclear, which is probably going to melt this whole thing down. Or if mm-hmm. I want to potentially see this person tomorrow, I should probably not say that everybody's been in that situation. But I just thought that was emotional maturity being like, this ain't worth the fight. (laughs) It probably comes from marriage. (laughs) Uh. That's fair. And, and part of that, I could be inappropriately identifying that. I'm just trying to find like a realm. I went from being a procrastinator in college to now I'm an anticipator as an administrator in this program. And I know that that has definitely been a change in me um, based off of like, I'm doing this because I don't want to fail versus I am still, I'm still in the classes that I'm in right now. Like I'm still reading the things so that I can have a good grade, but this is eventually going to translate to my dissertation and I need to know what I'm talking about in my dissertation. Yeah. But that's emotional maturity. I mean, having gone, uh, like the emotional kind of like living in like, um, and I always think like, uh, like the emotion of like being able to do it and being in the fight and this, and now you're in a situation where you can see kind of like the bigger picture and have the emotional maturity to look and say, Hey, if I put this work in earlier on the front end, it's not going to stress me the fuck out so bad that I'm like going to have a heart attack at the very end when I was younger. But couldn't it also be a recalibration of focus from just outcome specific to process specific in, in valuing the process more than the outcome? Yeah. But also just growing up. I mean, I, you know, like I would never, like if I got to go back and do college again, which I think the worst thing we do is waste college on 18 to 22 year old kids. You should have to go work and get to go back in your thirties when you'd be the annoying you know, student mm-hmm. just asking questions and bombarding. Oh, the TA. oh yeah. Like cause we, we had people that were older in some of our classes and I'd be like, God damn it. This guy asks a lot of questions and Whoop uh, this dude's yeah, be like, we got to get out of here. And, uh, I, now I, I totally understand it. I'd be the guy back there being like, um, can I come to your office hours every single day and harass you for, you know, I got nothing else. That's there's definitely a bit of maturity, but we've also, I, I think we've all seen the older, the person chronologically older, but still not at that level. They're still having to be externally motivated in order to get anything done. And so it might, I haven't done a lot of research um, in emotional maturity, but there might be a pretty decent crossover within that. It's pretty interesting. So how do we increase the emotional maturity of these kids at a younger age? Um, at a younger age, I think right now what we're starting to see is explaining, um, explaining why it matters. And so instead of just saying like, well, when I was younger, I just did it because I, I, I got told to, because I got, got told beaten. to, right. And I want to call BS on that because every two year old is like, why, 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 why? And so I think that's, they, they want to understand it. And so if you take that time, what I've seen success in is if you take the time to say like, all right. I can see by your face, you don't want to squat today, but this is why we're doing it. And it kind of, oh, at least with the two year olds, you can lie to them. I used to tell them that the space people told me they'd be like, why? Because the space people told me to Hmm. space people. Yeah. I used to just like, so what's great with you and you'll see this with your kids. You can really just make up some fantastic. Believe me, I'm fucking ready. (laughs) Um, But going, going back to, I guess as I'm, I know, I remember being an athlete much more vividly than a student, let's say, or even like, a, like my interactions with my parents. I just remember being an athlete and my coaches. I never knew 
Like, I just never knew you could question a coach. Like, and I don't mean that like I was pushed back or, or like told to. I just had 100% faith in my coaches as an athlete. So like, I, I, know, yeah, I don't know that I would ever ask why. And I'm but, not saying that was a good thing or a but, bad thing. But you were having a positive experience. That's also true. Yeah. Like, I, I had situations where I thought, you know, where coaches were legitimately fucking dicks. Yes. And yeah. now I look back and be like, I wasn't just a punk kid. No, that guy was a fucking hack and didn't right, know what right. he was Fair doing. Fair enough. And because, in, in, you know, yeah. exchanging our stories, uh, I guess I was fortunate in that sense. And I think, because I know I did it to fucking teachers now that I think about it. So... I don't know. I just find it interesting that even, you know, is it, is it a product of, um, like our teachers being, is the power or the authority of teachers or coaches, uh, being stripped away or. I think it only gets stripped away if the parent doesn't support it. I know in my family, the, the grade in my performance in school was more important than what I did on the field. Mm -hmm. I remember my dad being like, um, the education you get today will last you an entire lifetime. You'll only play football and do sports at a, at a very you know, small time. And then I was pretty good at it. And he was like, and then I got scholarship and then he was all in, but I was, uh, you know, but compare even, that to old Randy Summers. I think high school is just daycare for young adults. No. <laughs> My dad was like, you know, like those grades, what you do. I mean, those things were all so important that I almost felt like, uh, uh, they would have been more disappointed in a poor academic mm -hmm. performance than, you know, than like if I had left early, uh, out of college and didn't get a degree or something, that would have been a, a, a huge failure. So I just think sometimes, um, at least what I've noticed is that the parents that are like involved in like switched on and like, you know, supportive of the kid, but not like coddling, there's this kind of weird blend where like, you don't want to push them too hard, but I think you can paint like a picture of success. And, um, it's just kind of an interesting kind of observation, but I also noticed the kids today that don't, uh, you know, that are kind of, I would imagine more pain in the ass, uh, it's probably because, you know, either the parents don't support it or the parents really aren't involved enough to be able to make a decision one way or the other. Like, I like to go to parent-teacher conferences. I like to get the emails to know what my kids are up to. I never want to be one of those parents that's like, what do you mean my kid failed? How did I not see this coming, you know? So maybe your kid's really good at Photoshop and they've been hacking your emails already and showing A's. I, dude, I, there, is nothing, there is nothing that the kids... You tell me you never took a, a midterm report card and tried to fudge like a... A B or a D to a B? No. Ever? I don't remember how how we did it in high school. Oh, uh, we got you used to get like mailers, handwritten uh, mailers. I was better in college than high school. Hmm. Different, but um, sad. What? Those days are over because you got be you got to have some hacking skills now if you're uh, going to fudge your own grades. So, so Luke, my nephew, he has a um, like a, a website he logs into and it shows like his daily performance. I mean, it's yeah, like yeah. like my kids have this like Ten we years can old, log right? in uh, and then they also have uh, like how far they've gone. They have this thing I want to say it's called like Prodigy, and it's this whole like uh, it's it, yeah, it's fucking it's intense. I hear Prodigy. I think Firestarter. Great song. Put that on a playlist. I thought you made the movie Firestarter with uh, Drew Barrymore. I am a Drew Barrymore fan. However, I have no idea what you're talking about. No idea. <sighs> 50 First Dates, great Drew Barrymore flick, Charlie's Angels, one, Charlie's two, and three. Two. <laughs> Full throttle. See, this is where we're derailing, Liza. <laughs> Quick. See how it's happening? Uh, usually our guests just wind us back in. So feel free to do that whenever you want. <laughs> this is, this is entertaining. 
do do you watch movies like Remember the Titans and evaluate the coach's motivation techniques that he applies to his athletes or their their athletes? Oh, uh, I think you know. I think media itself, whether it's movies or TV or something like that, I think people learn motivation from that. And so while I might not necessarily be there and be there and say like, oh, that's that's a pretty interesting introjection or whatever. Um, I think what I do think is that our athletes these days are getting amped up for that, or um, they are looking at, you know, we are Marshall or they're looking at uh, Seabiscuit just came to mind. I don't really know why, (laughs) maybe because I'm in Kentucky, but um, looking at the way that people, other people are motivated and then that can clue them into it as well. But as far as like, my motivations or analyzing other people's. I haven't gotten to that point yet. Much like, you know, a strength coach walks into any gym just for their own workout and they can't turn up, they can't turn it off. Like you can't unsee. I haven't gotten there yet, but there are times where I'm like, I do hear, um, I do hear students talking to one another and I hear them talking about their motivations or I hear them talking about things that make them want to get back into the gym. And I think like, Yeesh, that's not gonna that's not gonna last that's that's not sustainable I hear that more often than I hear or more than I look at um somebody else and say like how what is your leadership style and let me wait what do you no first names no last names so na but going to individuals who have unique <laughs> um patterns of motivation <laughs> I should say and like uh... like just f- Totally unique. I'm, unlike anyone else I've ever met. Not that I've, you know, I cut a wide path. But <laughs> <laughs> like, what's motivating this guy to do this? But, um, yeah, so that's what we were talking about earlier. Uh, I go back to, I think he's a closet existentialist, that he resides in this, like, what I call, like, the crime and punishment Raskolnikov, where he believes himself to be this you know, this superhuman, this uh, extraordinary person that the laws and the rules of society don't appeal to him so he can navigate this stuff. So that's kind of, uh, I don't know if you guys have read Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. It's been a while. (laughs) So I was a classics (laughs) rhetoric major. uh, And so, yeah. So like, yeah, my, uh, uh, yeah. Maybe I'll dust it off for a little evening reading. Uh, How do you spell it? Crime and Punishment. C R no. <laughs> uh, we could read some Nietzsche too. So, uh, but that kind of idea of having like these, uh, um, uh, the, man, like that's another really interesting thing. And I talked to Derek Woodsky. We we talked a long time about this. That the uh, artificial success of something on like social media. Um, allows people to project something that allows them to have greater influence and to be able to live a life better than what they're doing by never really attaining much. Because well, who like, are they influencing? Well, I use the term influencing, uh, influencer, with uh, a lot of sarcasm and a lot of tongue-in-cheek. Um, I think it's kind of a funny situ- uh, funny term. But I think it's like, hey, like if you look and you're like, um, this girl just does nothing but shows you know butt pictures and has a million followers on Instagram. But goddamn, are her teeth white? What is she doing? Yeah. Oh, teeth whitening teeth. But, uh, but then is Sweet. it like uh, how? Like what's the influence of that opposed from like Alex Morgan, who's a Cal grad? Um, you know what she posts. I mean, I think about like uh, 
at least for, I try to put everything through the lens of my daughters and looking and saying like, if they were going to have an Instagram account, like who would I want them to follow to motivate them, mm-hmm. to show them, Hey, like this girl, uh, was similar to you and she got the opportunity to go and do this at college and go on and do these. So I kind of constantly try to show them what I think are positive role models of girls like, um, you know, like whether it be soccer or this and not necessarily be like, Hey, look at Lacey Summers over there. She mm-hmm. has 7 million followers on Instagram because she shows her butt a lot. I still think I want to have the upvote and downvote on From Instagram. Reddit? Yeah, but like in Instagram influencer land. So like experts, you know, like researchers can go in and say like a panel of, I know it's like not even a fucking real thing, but it'd be cool. Maybe Vero will do it when they take over. Well, it'd be uh, cool if you had people <laughs> well, um, if you had people who knew their shit in a specific topic that were able to upvote or downvote your information. So when someone came in who's like this ignorant pool, and not not like intentionally, they just don't know yet. They haven't been exposed to it. They're cats, they see yarn and chase it. And well, they get to the yarn and they look at it and they say, This yarn is not approved by the panel of expert cats. And they go, Fuck this yarn. Well, and go chase another one. I mean, if you think about the, the, the person that I think that has had the greatest influence on fitness on Instagram and social media is uh, Brett Contras. Contreras. Contreras. His whole thing about um, helping these, you know, girls that got smacked in the butt with like, by God's, you know, frying pan and helping them rebuild. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Like uh, we heard him speak, t- uh, speak at Summerstrong and I started following his research and seeing like the before and afters and like that dude should probably win a Nobel Peace Prize <laughs> like for, for the work he's done. But like uh, also what's pretty cool is that there's um, some really, really switched on individuals that are out there in the space that you kind of have to navigate. Like I really enjoy Chris Masterjohn's stuff and Rob Wolf's stuff on, on nutrition I got into it the other day with somebody on, on uh, Mark or Chris Bell was uh, posting something about like uh, cholesterol and a little bit of the cholesterol myth. And some guy jumped on him about offering medical advice and he's not licensed to offer medical advice. And I'm like, I didn't read any medical advice in there, but like, what are you, the internet police? What are you going to be sending him a cease and desist for? Yes. You know, that's I'm disliking this. Uh, but like at the end of the day, like um, how do young influential athletes wade through this fucking barrage this firestorm of information to try to figure out what is the best opportunity for them to have success aside from just coming to powerathletehq.com shameless plug yeah shameless plug um that's a that's a great question and the problem is their attention is so shotgun-esque that you are only one of like i am only one of those dots but i think by producing results being authentic and being competent in what I do or, or just knowing my stuff and having that ability to answer the questions or to follow up to say like, I don't know that right now, but I will get back to you. And then actually following up with it. I think that is if any coach wants to help get somebody off of the internet for their fitness advice, be good at what you do and educate yourself and then, you know, look the part so that I can say like, hey, I know, you know, when you're front squatting, I know you feel it in your thighs because I feel it in my quads when I when I front squat because I front squatted before and I know what it feels like to max out and stuff like that. So when I'm asking you to, I know what it feels like. And so be authentic. Do, you know, practice what you preach, but also educate yourself and f- and 
even if they aren't finding the, the right science, I am at least a vessel for the science for them. And so at least offer them that, that purity um, within it to, so that any, hopefully any coach that wants to help get their kids. And I know it's like doctors in WebMD, like, don't come to me saying that you saw this thing on Instagram because I can almost guarantee I'm going to hate it and I'm going to have to fight this. And so based off of that, like that doesn't work and this is why. And so just like you were saying, you need to have, you need to have the answer, but then you need to have the, the back up for it and the, the rationale or the logical thought behind it. To, to highlight a couple of guys that we had on Power Athlete Radio, one, Michael Hill, who you good friends with, but he reads men's health every magazine that he sees his basketball players so he can find out what the hell they're reading <laughs> and then be prepared to fact check or drive the narrative of these things and why they're being highlighted. And number two, Ryan Horn, basketball coach, strength coach at Wake Forest University, he encourages his athletes to come in. So if they come in with a glute exercise or anything really, he pats them on the back for their enthusiasm of going outside mm-hmm. of the, the weight room to find other information and then tries to steer them towards whatever Man, the motivation He was. sounds the exact opposite of Todd Rice's deal, where if you asked him any questions, he just uh, screamed so many profanities at you that you just kind of hid. Well, maybe maybe Todd Rice is on something because it motivated John <laughs> to, you know, he, he's in the NFL because of that, right? Oh, I think I succeeded in spite of all this shit. That's just, uh, I just think it's stupid, uh, blindness, fucking perseverance and stupidity. Anybody else would have just given up. Uh, the, uh, um, I was kind of thinking a little bit on this too. Like if, uh, if, if the kids have so much opportunity and have so much, like, like almost like, and, and I, I think to some extent, like the, uh, like the blue check on Instagram where you're verified, they need to have like a different color check for actually, if you're not full of shit or full of shit check, brown check. Yeah. <laughs> right? So no, this but, person's fucking. But there's going to be. The curse. Uh, then people are going to take advantage of that and start putting brown checks. You're afraid you're going to get a brown check, aren't you? From you. Nah, Skitnik. No, no, no. <laughs> there's a panel. Skitnik will come through and just brown check you. Brown. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, bink. And then I'll Skitnik and I'll brown check. No, Skitnik. it's a panel of people who got to, like, it's a six month brown pro- browning process. <laughs> and you don't know if you're under a brown investigation. Like so, double secret probation. Yes. So it's, uh, and you like, don't know if you have a brown check. Only other people, people that are, can see you. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, actually, there is a brown oh, check. Like you your got, Uber score. What in the fuck? That's possible. Not you. You. It's probably pretty bad. But like in general, your Uber <laughs> score. Yes. That's what can I'm talking people about. See, can you see your own Uber score? I think you can now. Oh, it used to be you couldn't, and you'd have to like bribe your Uber driver to show you your score. I'll right? give you five stars. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Brown check? Uh, you know, the um, uh, the Internet's interesting, especially social media, because it's like such a wild west. And I, I like uh, like as I go through and I read, um, you know, whether it be on nutrition or strength and training or this, I mean, just even down to like uh, seeing pro- people propagate myths on climate change and like, you know, this and like, I, I don't know if you guys saw that the U.N. came out and they said uh, eating meat is what's changing the climate. And then when you unpack the numbers, it's fucking nothing. Like, uh, like 
even if every human being on the planet went to being a vegan, it was like less than like 1% change in this whole thing. Like the, the carbon emissions and everything that they're claiming aren't coming from, from rudiments. They are coming from the massive amount of fucking uh, freighters that are going back between the United States and sailing across the Pacific Ocean that just run all day. I mean, if you look at the impact, it's just... Um, but, you know, and then you have, you know, some of the, the smartest scientists in the world talking about like, hey, climate change is happening. Uh, you know, and then you have other people that are like, it is changing, but we don't know if it's actually man influenced or not. But then if you even decide to have that conversation, people are like accusing you of being a Holocaust denier. So like, it's really, um, it's just, there's a ton of information. And I, I, I sometimes worry for a lot of people, like, how do you wade through it all? How do you figure out? I mean, shit, I, I saw a lady the other day uh, um, making a comment. She, she said to find her magic foods. And when she found her magic combination of foods, she could eat them in unlimited quantities and still lose weight. Yeah, meat, fish, fowl, seafood, eggs, and I'm fruit, like, uh, tubers, bulbs, veggies. Uh, uh, you know, and Rob and I always talk about, like, there's no way. I mean, the law of thermodynamics doesn't equate to that. So it's just, I mean, it's like text believing the earth is flat when we know it's not. It's w- a what's disc. this believing, John? Spinning. <sighs> Knowing. Knowing. <laughs> Knowing. <laughs> Texas is like, every time I fly in a, in a spaceship, I can't see the horizon. But, it's like, just... isn't there... Remember back in the day, John, I think you... Yeah, you had the internet for research, right? Yeah. And, and you definitely did, because I was, like, in grade school when we were writing book reports. They would only accept... They're like, hey, you can't go to those .com websites because you don't know if the information's valid. .org is reliable. Like, there was at least a filtration process. Like, do we have... Like, we just need a better way to inform people. It was called a library. What's that? Well, that's, I mean, so. We need a better, a better way to inform people who are consuming information via these outlets that are, that well, arguably we, have great information on there, right? You're big on, like, Amazon reviews. How do we apply that tool to information? I'm big on podcast reviews. Speaking of reviewing, ladies and gentlemen, review this podcast right now. <laughs> and smash um, that like button. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but like, but it's informing. It's informing the informing youth and even just uh, adults. Like, that people got to know that the fucking shit no, they're reading dude, on there no, isn't you always gotta remember, reliable, man, right? Like, uh, sometimes um, the bigger the bullshit, the more magic people like to believe in magic. Like, I always go back to uh, the Dave Asprey, where it's like, you need to drink five or six of these coffees with butter and MCT oil because the caffeine and somehow in a fasted state, it cancels out calories. And then we had guys come in and I'm like, so you've put on 25 pounds while I'm fasting and drinking these coffees. I'm like, you know, there's like 500 calories per coffee and you're drinking six of them a day. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that? Uh, but it said those, those calories don't matter. And I'm like, this is fucking crazy. So, like, I think people believe in mysticism and magic more than they believe in facts. So, on that note, Liza, what is your take on using or tricking athletes with these coaching tools? I'm going to go and reference Days of Thunder and the magic wheels. Tires. To magic tires. Holy shit. Have you seen fucking Days of Thunder? I watch it with you. Uh, (laughs) But essentially, putting them in a position to just... Get outside of their own head and focus on the execution performance of whatever that task may be. Is that a negative coaching tool, in your opinion, because you're, I mean, lying to your athlete? Only if he crashes. If it's your only coaching tool, then yeah, you got an issue. But I totally will 
especially the head athlete that's going for a new max. We used to see this, see this in weightlifting all the time. You go from pound plates to kilo plates, and then they're like, wait, I don't know the math. They're like, no, don't do the math. Just lift. Just lift. I know you can do this. You've lifted that one really quick. I know you can do this. And just I times by two. Yeah, yeah, point two. And we'll just go into that and say, like, you don't need to know. Or I have... That, that was a lie we used to do with the kilos. I'd be like, oh, just times everything by two. And then just times it by two and not realizing that I'm... 20% bonus? I'm, yeah. <laughs> wow, that was great. <laughs> For sure. And yeah. I will take advantage of the situation, but I will uh, reveal the fallacy afterwards to say like, oh, yeah, you've been trying to break that 225 for a long time. You just hit 240. And they're like, what? I thought it was only 220. And you're like, mm, I lied. And so as long as they, that's not your only way of motivating, but also, I mean, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, not often, but it's, you have to pick and choose the athletes that you're going to do it with, especially the athletes that are there to work. I'm not going to like please the athlete that just comes and goes and doesn't really care. Like, nah, not, they're not worth that manipulation effort, but I mean, I've manipulated a situation or two for sure if I needed to, but I'm also not going to blow smoke to say like, oh, well, you lifted that, then you did, you lifted this weight that you didn't two weeks ago. Good for you. And really it's the same. Like I'm not in, I'm not into doing that. Um, but yeah, sure. I'll totally throw them that bone or blindfold that, you know, weight or whatever, and then just make them lift. And then afterwards show them, this is what you just did get out of your own head in, in terms of let's say taking on a new athlete right because that's an athlete you kind of have you understand their thought process their motivation uh mm -hmm. the barriers they may self-impose but taking on a new athlete you mentioned you know be authentic provide results and i can't remember the third element but you know there is like do you have any tricks to provide those immediate results to help build the buy-in for an athlete um well in really untrained individuals, anything is a training stimulus. Anything is a training stimulus. And you see people, and this is just physiology. You see people go from the couch to 5K, but then their legs experience a little bit of hypertrophy. It's because them running that 5K took a basic amount of strength that they didn't have to begin with. And so that is a blessing and a curse to a new coach because the blessing is they start to see the buy-in as they start to see results. And so the way to help build that is to identify and to show the athlete that A, you see them like, hey, I see that you're trying and I see the progress that you're making. And this is how you've progressed over the past couple of weeks. And so that they might be blind to that so they could see it. But as they start to see their weight go down, their, uh, their body weight go down, um, or their weights that they're lifting go up, the problem is me and a bad trainer could probably yield similar results off of two different programs. It's just kind of where they continue to go from there. And so I think exposing with a new athlete, I would want to expose, uh, gain respect and trust, but also um, expose what they are doing right and how they've progressed in the short amount of time that you've seen them, um, especially in the things that they might not necessarily be able to see. Um, and then from there, we're not, uh, I don't want to say reward, but I highlight that to say, wow, you have gotten better. And then as you have gained that mutual trust afterwards, because I'm not going to, you know, lie to an athlete and say what weight is on the bar when it really isn't straight out the gate, because then they expect, they, they expect you to be tricky and I don't, that's not the way that I'm going to coach, but I will do that. Like you said, to an athlete that I've known for, before. Um, but in the beginning, the 
problem is everything works. Everything's a training stimulus just based off of a really untrained body. But most people are coming because they want some sort of result. Um, the athlete wants to get better or the athlete's injured and they want to get back to a return to play or whatever. Um, show them a result and then show them how they've continued those results, especially after that really big spike of that training stimulus comes how they're continuing to continue, uh, how they're continuing up that adaptation, changing, getting better curve. Yeah. And it makes, cause some results take a while to fucking get to, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's why it's like, and we're so used to immediate results. Um, I guess focusing in on the knowing what will change quickly will help you get that type of buy-in and earn that trust. I think that's the benefit of, you know, Every strength, while there's a lot of idiots out there, um, every strength coach essentially has that you can't cheat the weights. Like you can't take the magic pill. You can't do this certain training program and, and expect to get all the adaptations. Like you, ha you just have to lift. And at the very beginning of this conversation, you said, you know, there are three basic ways to get big and strong. And nobody has, nobody has debunked that so far. That's because that, that foundation is solid. And there's just a, there's a down to earthness or a groundedness that I see in a lot of people who have, um, who coach sports performance or who have gone through high levels of training and they know you just got to put in the work. And that, that is something that's super valuable and you can't BS that you can't fake that you can either lift it or you can't. And it, and it comes down to that very black and white. We, the cool thing about, resistance training and coaching and stuff is that there is a black and white to it. There's some gray motivations. Like you might be motivated one way and you another and you another, but at the same time, if you're not lifting weights, you're not getting stronger or you're not getting faster. You're not getting more powerful. Mm -hmm. And so there's that basic knowledge that we all, or that basic truth that we all have to come back down to. Yeah. And it's a lot of that, I think is how CrossFit was so successful is because it seemed random every day. But then when, you know, it's oh, something new, I'm motivated because it's like, there's no monotony. I'm not getting bored with it. And it kind of becomes a curse unless you know how to use it as a tool and provide perceived variance in a program to ramp up motivation. But when in reality, you're attacking the same it's stimulus, the same it's look. one look, it's just exercise. No, <laughs> um, no, I mean, you're talking, uh, you know, like a conjugate system, which is kind of what CrossFit did is they looked at like basic movements and they just started rotating through these different, mm -hmm. you know, the deals. The problem is Glassman's, you know, no, as you go with that conditioning yeah, was yeah. so low that he only did by nothing but bilateral hip hinging in a sagittal plane. So conceptually, it can be a great way to motivate and continue motivate people to keep showing up. Uh, but in terms of the execution and application, I think that's one thing that we did at Balboa better as good as the best out there, you well, know, in terms of how we laid out the programming. I also think too, if you can put somebody into a fight or flight situation, I mean, you get this kind of whole, you know, serotonin response, you almost get some Stockholm syndrome and that's how the CrossFit gyms work. So successfully trap, you uh, got to fucking set them on fire oh, and capture them by their own effort. Entrapment. Yeah, you gotta fucking snatch. You, you gotta steal their hearts. You gotta snatch them, burn them on fire. They really won't come back. <laughs> That's just how it works. Uh, we got anything else? Text in that magic book of questions. I just wanted to highlight while I have it open. I did not know this, but there are nine universities, nine Division nine. One scholarships for Olympic weightlifting. Uh -huh. hmm. So to inform our listeners, 
very quickly, California State University, Sacramento, East Tennessee State University, Lindwood University, Lindenwood, St. Charles, Missouri, Louisiana State, Shreveport, Northern Michigan University, Oklahoma Oklahoma City University, Texas A&M College Station, University of Wisconsin, Whitewater, and West Virginia University. Hmm. My husband is a PhD student at West Virginia, and so he he's in sports science, and they're doing testing on the weightlifters there. And it's very cool um, coming from a coaching aspect where club coach, people come, people go, whatever. I know I have to deal with um, their external lives. A scholarship weightlifting athlete can only do the physical activity that's prescribed to them which is nuts. Like, no, you're not going to go play pickup ultimate on the waterfront today because it's going to mess with your adaptations. And I, like, when I heard that, I was just so blown, mind blown because it's the most pure form of, of weightlifting. And it's pretty exciting. And that's pretty cool. You think they still sneak in bench press in the rec gym? Scholarships on the line, dude. How important are Scholarships on the line, man. Fuck that. What are you pointing at him for pecs for? Sneaking in bench yeah, press. Well, we Not all of us press. have a sunken chest you can eat a bowl of soup out of. Oh, my God. Shut up, Tex. <laughs> You're proje- I'm projecting. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Derailed. Liza, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us and for following us down the rabbit hole on uh, Days of Thunder. If anyone wants to follow your work or your social, where do you want us to point them? Um, I'm actually not on social media. Lucky. <laughs> Yeah, for uh, so many reasons. Um, but I, they can get in contact with me through the University of Louisville, um, our exercise physiology program. Um, I'm on the website, Liza Reader, and anybody that wants to talk about that and my dissertation, I will be starting my dissertation, God willing, in the Creek Don't Rise um, next fall. Ooh. And so, or summer to fall. And so I will, that will be coming out. I am speaking at the 2020 Kentucky state high school strength and conditioning conference. Um, they haven't nailed that down, but I contacted the director of that. And so I am going to present these, present this to them. Awesome. Killer. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Best of luck. And thank you power athlete nation for listening to another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Bing. Come on, big guy. Give it to us. Got it. All right. Thanks, Liza. Bye, Bye, guys. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Well, you won't find Liza Reader on social media. God bless her. But you can find more information about her program at louisville.edu. And remember, she'll be speaking at the Kentucky Coaches Conference, TBD. Until next time. Bye.